parents, if you have any two-year-olds to second grade, you're welcome to dismiss them at this time. Take advantage of the children's church program. We'll be in the book of Titus this morning. The whole chapter is uh, kind of one unit. We will take it in two pieces. So there'll be a part one this week. And then next week, there'll be another uh, sermon from this passage. And uh, if I go too long today, we may make it three. I don't know. It just depends. And if you have any extra of those, just leave them on the... There we go, yeah, on the video booth. Glad that you could be with us here this morning at Faith Baptist Church. And uh, as we look at our passage this morning... We need to consider what is the point of life? What are you living for? Well, the gospel gives us purpose. Everyone struggles at some point in their life with why am I here? And people come up with different thoughts and, and uh, different goals for their life and things like that. And they pursue them and they chase them and... Sometimes that works out for them and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes their goals are met and they are left dissatisfied. Sometimes their goals are never met. Uh, I think I, I understand the sentiment between uh, uh, when we have said to our children, you can be anything you want. OK, I understand the sentiment behind that, but that's just not reality. Right. I, man, when I grew up, I loved sports. Loved sports, loved football, loved basketball, especially basketball. Would have loved to have played basketball professionally. It's just I, I played center, and I'm only six foot tall, and there's just nobody in the NBA. I would dare say nobody in college who's six foot tall, six foot tall who plays center, right? So we can't be anything we want to be. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't set goals and, and, and things like that. And, and so I, I don't want to I don't want you to go home and sit your kids down and say, well, you can't be anything you want to be and just crush their thoughts. or anything. That's not the, the goal of that. OK, but what I'm telling you is, is we set people up to say you can be anything you want to be. And if they hit a point in life where they can't be that, then there's extreme disappointment. And the older generation might say, yeah, well, we didn't have that. We had to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and all that type of thing. One of the problems that we've seen over time is uh, what we call a midlife crisis. And that's when uh, men in particular worked hard and they worked to get money so that they could buy things and they could have things and they could have the big house and they could have the vacation place and that type of thing. And they drove themselves for that and they hit midlife and they actually had the money to buy what they wanted and to do what they wanted. And it didn't satisfy. And so they would end up getting a divorce, making big purchases, boats, yachts, whatever, big, fast cars, trying to find something to satisfy because what they'd worked their whole life to find didn't bring satisfaction. Didn't bring lasting joy. I can remember my uncle telling me after he retired, he said, uh, he said, David, I've never worked harder in my life than when I retired. And I said, well, you said you were going to play golf. And he said, there's only so much golf you can play. 
There's only so much golf you can play. Now, Pastor Tad's probably thinking, try me. Right? <laughs> he likes golf. But what I'm trying to tell you this morning is we can have all kinds of purposes in our life, but if we're missing the purpose Christ has for us, we've missed it, beloved. Because you are a Christian, you are a blood-bought Christian, and Christ has a purpose for His people. And you need to know what that is, and you need to live it out in your life. And this passage is going to address that. Now, this morning, if you're here and you're not a Christian and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, then you need to do that. Christ died for your sins so that if you repent of your sins and follow him as Lord, as master of your life, he will save you. He will save you and he will give your life purpose. So Jesus, as I've titled this sermon, Jesus gives life purpose. And so... The challenge today is living a redeemed life. Now, we're going to read chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. We'll not get to that all. We're going to try to stop at verse 10 uh, as far as the exposition of the passage this morning. But uh, it is very directed at Christians. So, Paul has just wrapped up talking to the, uh, about the false teachers and having to confront them. And then he turns his attention back to Timothy, who he is told to appoint elders and put everything into order. So this is getting into putting the church in order section of the book. He says, but as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior Not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. That the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Four, this is the why. Why should we do this? This is where Christ has given purpose. Four, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory Of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. God's people are to be taught to live godly lives for their Lord. God's people are to be taught to live their lives for the Lord. He says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. 
So the summary for this passage, I put this way. Pastors must teach their people to live godly lives because that's Christ's purpose for them. In our passage in Titus today, Paul begins by addressing the different age groups within the church. This is a very church-focused message. And he starts with the older men. And he starts there in verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Okay, so whether you consider yourself an older man or not, listen. Because, Lord willing, you're going to get there. Right? You're going to get there. How are the older men to be? Well, it's, uh, they are to be sober-minded. That means to be clear-headed. Clear-headed. You're not under the influence of, of alcohol or drugs or anything like that. You're to be clear-headed, clear in your thinking. Think things through. You have experience on your side. Use it to your advantage. It's been said, work smarter, not harder. You've heard that adage? Well, that's because you can think clear-minded once you have experience. And then you're to be dignified. That word means worthy of respect. Worthy of respect. In other words, you're to carry yourself in such a way and to live your life in such a way that people respect you. And then we have this word self-controlled. And that is all through this passage. It is all through the book of Titus. Self-control. It means this, being in control of oneself, prudent, thoughtful, self-disciplined in one's freedom, self-restrained in all passions and desires. They are to be self-controlled. As I mentioned in the introductions, older men oftentimes have worked their way to a point where they have more than they had when they were young. And so there are resources and influence that you have in your life. And you're to show self-control in using those things. Self-control in your life. Make sure that you live a life that's worthy of respect. And then it says to be sound in faith, in love, in steadfastness. The challenge for older men. In our later years, men, we have got to the point where we've either met our goals or we missed our goals or things turned out way different than we ever thought they would, sometimes our lives can be filled with regrets for the things we've done and the things we've said. Or we can feel like now that we've, some of us when we retire or we've been let go from a job or whatever, we were finding our identity in our job and what we did, and when we retired, we kind of found ourselves adrift at sea. Perhaps there are feelings of despair, and there may be a tendency or a temptation to relax yourself morally. That can even happen. It's like, boy, I've, I've, I've driven and driven all my life so that I can get here, and now I'm going to enjoy life to the fullest. And so there's a relaxing of moral standards because of old age. Paul here is telling the older men to, to be like him so that they can say at the end of their life, I've finished my course, I've kept what? The faith. I've kept the faith. I'm to live in faith and then in love. I'm to be loving towards others. Boy, oh boy, I wish my default switch was love instead of self-love. 
or selfishness. And so when, when we get to the point where we're like, well, I've earned what I've got. And you take pride in that. And that, you know, earning what you got is a good thing. But that doesn't mean you should just spend it all on yourself. And, and it's not that you should live so that everybody's living to please you, to be self-centered. You're to be loving like your Savior was loving and giving. Sound in faith and in love. And this word sound is used throughout this passage in several ways. It means healthy, correct, sound in faith. And in love. And in his steadfastness. Boy, you should just be counted on. You can count on brother so-and-so to be there when you need them. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. Older men, we need to finish well. Finish well. Then Paul turns to the older women. He says the older women likewise, in the same way. In other words, to live a self-controlled, respectable life, it's the same for the older women. They are likewise to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves. There we go. Not slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women. Reverent in behavior. It's a it's a word taken from uh, being a priestess in a temple. In other words, all aspects of life are sacred. Act like a sacred person. Be reverent in your behavior. You are set aside for God. The conduct of the older women must reveal that they regard life as sacred in all respects. They are not to be slanderers. So now we have reverent in behavior and then we have these contrasting things. Not slanderers. This, this would not be reverent behavior. Controlling your use of words. Not a gossip. Not repeating unfound accusations against others. It, older ladies, once the kids are a little more independent or out of the home, maybe you have time to run around and visit and that type of thing. And you're not to spread gossip. You're not to slay others with your words. Do not repeat unfounded accusations against others. Don't spread false lies and conspiracy theories on Facebook. All y'all. Okay? Not slanderers. And then not slaves to much wine. In other words, controlled in the use of alcohol. Alcohol and drugs tend to loosen self-control in our words and in our actions. So not slaves to much wine. These things should help us to have a reverent behavior. And then it says to teach what is good and train young women. You see, women are to teach by word and by example what it means to live a reverent life. And they are to teach it to the younger women. Older ladies, you you don't lose your usefulness when your children are out of the home. We tend, men tend to find their purpose in their careers. Women tend to find their purpose and identity in their children. And when the children are gone, then suddenly there's emptiness. Don't use an empty nest as an opportunity for you to live selfishly. Boy, I've invested in my kids all my life. Now it's my time. Instead of investing so much in your kids, now you're to invest in the younger women. It's God's purpose. For you. 
It takes time. It takes sacrifice. But it is what the Lord desires for you to do. Teaching the younger women how to live a reverent life is the responsibility of the older women, not the pastors. I mean, it only makes sense, right? I mean, if you want to know, if a young lady wants to know how to put up with a stubborn man who thinks he's always right, they need to talk to Kim, not me, right? So older ladies, you have a wealth of experiential knowledge in life and with the Lord. Invest in the younger ladies. It's God's purpose for you. And so then, they are to train the women. So we have here living a redeemed life for the Lord as a young woman. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, there's that word again, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. The younger women are to be taught to love their husbands and children. You say, well, why do they have to be taught to love their husbands and their children? Well, love is not so much an emotion as it is a verb. It's an action. And sometimes, and men, and I know this is hard for us to swallow, but sometimes your husbands don't act in a way that's very loving. And it takes some effort to love them. And sometimes children behave in such a manner that it makes it hard to love them. Marriage and raising children is not an easy endeavor. And having someone to guide you through is a huge help to the younger ladies. Older ladies can help the younger women to place the proper priorities on their love. Love of husband takes precedent over love of children. You have to prioritize these things. We love God first, love our spouse second. Of our children, third. Also, loving your child like they're your friend and wanting them to like you is bad parenting. And so we have to, we have to understand the boundaries and love like a mother loves. Older ladies can help balance this in the lives of the younger women. But not all women are married, and so these other ones come into play here. To be self-controlled, there's that word again. Control of oneself, thoughtful, disciplined in one's freedom, self-restrained in all passions and desires. Young ladies have passions and desires just like young men, and they are to restrain them. And that, that is seen as we see when the next word, pure, The word in this context means chaste. It means to keep relationships in their proper place so as not to be accused of sexual infidelity, to be pure. And then it says working at home. Now, this is falling back into the married couple or the married lady working at home. Ladies, the responsibility for making a house a home falls to the wife. Okay. It falls to the wife. Now, notice I didn't say that that means you have to do the dishes or you have to be the one that does the laundry. And that's that's a cultural expectation, not what's being focused on here. You're to make a house a home. You're to make it a place that is safe for your children and encouraging for your husband. That's your responsibility. 
But what about in our day when women can work outside the home and have careers? It's very different than in Paul's day. It's fine for a wife to work outside the home. There's nothing wrong with that. But if I would say this, her career must never be a detriment to the home. Her career must never be a detriment to the home. And, and, and ladies, if you're, if you're working and you get pregnant, don't abort a baby for the, your career. Don't sacrifice a life for your career. Have the child. Have the child. But beyond that, if work is having an adverse, adverse effect on your children or on your marriage and it's getting out of balance, then your priorities are wrong. God, spouse, children, work. Priorities of life. You get too focused on work and career. Other things get out of balance. You may have to, you may have to turn down a promotion in order to have time at home. You may need to quit altogether. And, and let me say that that applies to men as well. Men are to have careers, but if your career is going to get to the point where your family is going to be destroyed, you've you got to push the brakes. It's your responsibility to provide for your family, but not, not, to, not to provide excess for your family and destroy your family. Family is the priority. So sometimes a career must be scaled back or forfeited. So working at home. And then kind. Kind. I remember, well, I still say this. You know, little, little girls are precious and cute and everything until they get to about, I don't know, it's like the fourth grade. And then it's like they're just demon-possessed. They just get mean. <laughs> they just get mean. And they're mean to one another and they're mean to everybody and, and that type of thing. And that lasts through sometime in the future. No, it's seriously, it lasts till about sixth or seventh grade, and then they start to settle in to who they are and that type of thing. But you are to be kind, and you need to be taught to be kind. And, and why? Why do the older ladies need to teach the younger ladies to be kind? Because there's nobody busier than a young woman with kids in a home, especially if you throw in a job on top of that. It's just... Go, go, go. And so, like, you, you got, she's juggling 15 things, and then somebody throws another thing at her, and three pins fall on the ground, and she's liable to uncork. But there's this reminder that ladies are there to be kind. Your response is your responsibility. It's not what happens to you that's important, it's what happens in you that's important. So, to be kind. In relationships, particularly in the home. I have found this for men and women in the home. The easiest person to unload on in an ungodly way are the people who love you because you know you can get away with it. That doesn't mean it's right, but that's who you unload on. You, 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 can, you can bottle up your frustrations at work or in school, whatever the case may be, and you can come home and you can unload on mom and dad or you can unload on your husband or on your wife, and they have to take it because they love you. It's not the way it should be. They're to be kind. And the older women should also model this as they teach the younger women because older folks, men and women, 
Our tendency is to look at the younger generation and say something like this. Idiots. We just look down on them and it's like, well, when I was their age. Well, you know what? You know what the older people did to us when we were younger? They looked at us and said, boy, idiots, right? I mean, it's just that's the way life is. So, so we have to be kind to the generation behind us. If we're going to teach people, the old adage goes that they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so care. Model being kind. And then finally, it says for the young ladies, they are to be submissive to their own husbands. Note that the woman is commanded to be submissive, not to every man, but to her husband. Right? Like this is not some society-wide thing to where, you know, ladies have to submit to every man they encounter. No, it's her husband. God has set it up. He's got two equals as far as, as, far as spiritual value and intelligence in the home. And to prevent chaos, he's appointed the man as the head of the home. Somebody has to be the manager, if you will. And so in the Christian home, it's the man. Husbands are not to demand submission, but the wife should kindly allow her husband to lead the home. There's going to be a temptation to manipulate. Manipulation of others is always a temptation, especially in a society like Crete that we're reading about, where deception was commonplace. But the Christian woman is not to manipulate her husband to get her way. She's to be submissive. Men are to be sacrificial. Someone said it, I think it might have been C.S. Lewis, the the only crown that a, a man should wear as the king of his home is a crown of thorns. He should live like his savior, sacrificially for his family. So now Paul wrote this to the to the Cretans, and society has changed dramatically over the years. Countries where Christianity has had an influence have always improved the treatment of women. God has given these principles here for good. So whether you're married or single, working outside the home or you stay at home uh, as a mom, Christian ladies must use the final purpose statement in verse 5 as their guiding principle. I'm to live my life as a woman in such a way that the word of God may not be reviled. The underlying Greek word is blaspheme. Younger women are to live their lives in such a manner that the word of God is not disrespected or blasphemed. Not disrespected or blasphemed. Now we come to the young men. Titus 2.6. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. And the ladies are probably like, what? That's it? Like, there was a lot of words used for the younger ladies there. This is it? Self-control? Well, there is another difference. What's the second word of that verse? Urge. It means exhort. This is not teach. This is challenge. Challenge the young men. Exhort the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Titus is told here to urge the younger men, to admonish them in their responsibility to show self-control. Young men in their prime are at the height of their physical prowess. They can beat up the older men. They can blast their inexperienced opinions with bravado. 
They can indulge their desires and imbibe their pleasures without hardly any physical consequence. I can remember as a young man, as a sinning young man, doing things I ought not do that were hard on my body and wake up the next day and go play basketball. Nowadays, I mow the lawn and I'm sore the next day. Right? So they, 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 they feel invincible. And there's a reason that 99% of the stupid videos you see feature young men. Right? Hey, watch me do this. And now we have cameras to record all the failures. So young men, focus. Focus. Think. Control yourself. You represent King Jesus. You need to control your behaviors and your impulses Accordingly, you're at a stage of your life, young men, where you can do whatever you want to do, especially the ones that have gotten out of the home. You got your own job. You can do what you want to do. You got some money now. You can do all that your heart desires and the things that you hated doing that your parents made you do. You don't have to do them no more. But just because you don't have to do them anymore doesn't mean that you shouldn't do them anymore. You can do whatever you want to do, but you need to show self-control because nobody can tell you what to do. And so you need to lead your homes, young men. Sunday morning church is a Saturday night decision. Make up your mind to be here. Be here on time. Get your family up. Do whatever it takes to get them here. Fix breakfast if you have to. I remember in our home... Mom was a stay-at-home mom, but Sundays was pancakes. Dad made pancakes every Sunday. And I don't know why he did that. I don't know if it was to give Mom a break or just to make sure we got to church on time. I have no idea. Never did ask him. But men, if you have to, get up on Sunday morning, fix breakfast, wake the kids, help them get dressed, do whatever you got to do. Get them to church. It's, it's, it's much easier. Man, there are so much, there's so much entertainment that can be had. Whether it's the multiplicity of channels and shows that you can watch, social media websites, games, all these things. They're always more fun than doing what you have to do as a man to take care of your family. Show self-control. You can do as much or as little as you want. and Nobody can make you do otherwise. Well, Jesus Christ is your king. Serve him. Control your behavior and your impulses accordingly. You can do it. Now, we turn to the pastors. We won't spend much time here. No, I'm just kidding. For sake of time. Titus 2, 7 and 8 says, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Pastors of the church are to model good works. Our conduct should be an example for everyone in the church to follow. Now, some have compared a pastor's family and life to living in a fishbowl. Now, and it's typically used in a negative context. And and part of the reason for that, that it's used in a negative context, is because oftentimes pastors feel like everybody's watching them, not not to come alongside as an example and be a help to them, but to, to look for failures. Like they're examining us and waiting for us to fail. 
And unfortunately, that's true for some people. They think of the pastor as someone who is holier than thou that needs to be brought down and humbled. But in that case, the problem's with the observer. Or possibly it's the problem of the pastor. If he's presenting himself as perfect and judgy, then he should expect judgment back. But when you understand that we pastors are not perfect and that we are in need of mercy, grace, and forgiveness just like you, then the fishbowl can be a positive experience. You can learn from us by observing our lives at our best and at our worst, in the good times and the difficult. And hopefully you will observe a life of repentance and faith, a life in which the Spirit produces His fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those fruits of the Spirit. So pastors are to model the Christian life for you, but then also their teaching. It says, in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Our teaching is to be held to a high standard. Integrity means soundness. There's that word again as far as in the Greek, sound. It's to be without corruption, pure doctrine, truthful. It can be examined. Truth doesn't fear a challenge. But it's to be presented. The words are to be presented in a way with dignity, with seriousness, holiness. I'm not here to entertain you this morning or to pump you up and to be your cheerleader. I'm here to bring you God's word for your life. And I'm to do so in a dignified way, with sound speech that cannot be condemned. My words and actions as I teach should not be shameful. So our teaching as pastors should have this underlying goal. When our opponents try to come at us, they find nothing to condemn us for. And then now Paul moves on to Christian bond servants. And I've given you the definition of a bond servant there. Uh, in your handout, it comes from the uh, preface of the ESV, because the challenge is, is that there's a generic word, doulos, for a slave. And, but yet there were different types of slaves, and so they explain how they translate the different ways that it is used. Sometimes it is translated as a slave when it's somebody that's in a situation where they are utterly uh, bought by somebody else and owned, and they have no chance of escape. That They'll use the word slave. Uh, they use bond servant when, in the Roman society, someone would sign a contract for seven years or be under contract for seven years as a slave. They call them bond servants. Okay? And then sometimes a public servant would be a slave. A pub- we, we, use this, we talk about our public servants. And so they would use servant in that situation. So this passage most closely applies to Christian employees, because these are people who are contracted by people uh, to be servants or slaves for a certain amount of years. Titus 2, 9 and 10, bond servants be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. Not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So some basics for being a good Christian employee here is do your job. Be submissive. Do your job. Then to make it a little more challenging, do your job without arguing with your boss. 
Do your job without arguing, not argumentative. I would say this, don't complain to fellow employees. It, it does no good to complain to somebody who has no ability to change your situation. Right? So complain, take complaints to your boss or to your appropriate authority. They're the ones that have the ability to make changes to your situation. <clears throat> Complaining to fellow employees simply creates a bad work environment. Christians ought not be known for that. Then it says not pilfering. Don't steal from your employer. Whether it's material things or time, don't steal from your employer. Be a trustworthy employee. What does that mean? Well, do your job by the book. It says with all good faith. Don't deceive customers. Uh, I know we have some folks here in law enforcement, and so I share with you what I shared with my brother-in-law, who's also in law enforcement. And he's like, "What do you What do you do?" Uh, as you know, when I'm arresting bad guys, and I'd say, "Well, do it. Do the arrests by the book." The, the goal is is that if if the person you arrested is goes to prison, gets their life turned around. And they show up at your church some Sunday and they see you. They don't go, hey, that guy trapped, entrapped me like he arrested me unjustly or he beat the crap out of me unjustly. Right. You, you want your you want to do it the right way and the same way in other areas. If you're if you're dealing with customers and customer service and that type of thing, be truthful with people. Don't just try to get them out of your hair. It's one of the things that irritates me the most. Somebody tells me something I know is not true, and they know it's not true, but they're doing it because they don't want to help me. Don't do that. Right? You, you don't want the people you interact with in your workplace or as customers or as people you deal with on a job site, you don't want them to show up at church and then be just as surprised as you are that they're there. Right? Represent the Lord well. In your workplace, in everything, he says, adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. So even your work is an offering to the Lord it is to be done in a way that is pleasing to him. Your conduct in the workplace should look good on the teachings of Christ. You should be the kind of employee that your boss or the person that pays you says, well, I'd like to have more of that person. Now, there are bosses that are unjust and they'll take advantage. Right. And I, and I would say this, if you if you've been contracted to work 40 hours a week, don't be a workaholic and work 60. You're unbalancing your home. Right. But you you give them a good 40. So pastors must teach their people in word and by example to live godly lives because that's Christ's purpose for them. So beware of any pastor who teaches by word or example that uh, lifestyle prohibits by God are somehow acceptable to God. Let's let's pull that into this passage, whether it be drunkenness, sexual immorality, sexual deviancy, abortion, illegal drug use, no fault divorces, homosexual marriage, cohabitation before marriage, chasing your career dreams over your family or any other ungodly behavior. Run away. Don't listen to that teaching. Because Titus 2, 11 and 12 says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, God's people, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live 
There's our word again. Self-controlled. Upright. And God's lives in the present age. And I'll finish with this. Christ is not a counselor that you only visit when you need help. He's not a doctor that you go and visit and pay attention to when you're hurting. He is the Lord of your life. He's your master. He is your king. And He is to be the Lord of every area of your life. And He is the Lord of every stage of your life. He gives your life purpose. So live your life in a manner that glorifies Christ. You need to live a godly life because that's Christ's purpose for His redeemed people. Live a redeemed life for your Lord. No matter what stage of life you're in or what station of life you're in, glorify Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to come and look in Your Word. I pray, Father, that You will work in the hearts of Your people here to surrender our whole lives to You and to live godly lives, self-controlled lives for Your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.